Yo, 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 guys. Thanks for coming back to another episode. My guest today is a Calgary resident. She's actually sitting in front of me right now. Um, It's been a while. My last like four podcasts have been through phone, so it's good to actually see people in front of me. (laughs) Um, So our topic today is going to be about COVID and what is happening in the world right now. Um, My guest is Sarah. We actually went on a Jasper trip about two months ago now, I think, and uh, we became pretty good friends. We still talk. Um, and we follow each other on Instagram and she's been posting a lot about COVID these last couple of weeks and her opinion and her thoughts really intrigued me. So I thought it would be awesome to have her on the show and to ask her a few questions and to get her thoughts on COVID. So Sarah, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hello everybody. And thank you, Erin, for having me on today. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, just really excited to have this conversation. I think it's something that needs to be talked about more in an open dialogue, because at least for me personally, and I work in healthcare, um, I just feel like the majority of society is only seeing one side of the argument, one side of the story, one onslaught of the data, and they're not being given the big picture perspective. And so that's what I'm here to do, is I'm here to offer up the other side of the story and just be a voice for the people that are being silenced and just gives people the ability to formulate their own opinions based on both sides because I think that that's everybody's right as a human being is to make a choice for your body, for your health, for your rights and your freedoms based on a collective formulation of information that comes from both sides. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk about this with you. So maybe my first question is going to be, do you believe in COVID? Because a lot of people don't even think that COVID is real and that the government just wants our money and it's government made, whatever. So do you believe in this disease? So yes, I absolutely believe that COVID and the virus itself is real. I still can't really say whether or not I am convinced as to whether it was caused naturally or it was man-made. There are a lot of pieces of evidence and a lot of opinions on both sides of that, and it's really hard to differentiate where the truth really lies, but I do wholeheartedly believe that COVID is a real illness. I have seen it in the hospital, and so I don't think, I mean, I I can't even speculate how these symptoms would be arising if there wasn't really a virus that was making its way through society. So yes, I think that COVID is real. However, to touch on your second point there, where people are saying that, oh, well, the government just want our money, I think there's also truth in that statement, not in the sense that COVID is fake and the government made all of this up, but there is a huge 
financial aspect of this and big pharma is really playing a role here especially in what i'm assuming we are going to dive into on the topic of the vaccine is we need to start asking questions who is really benefiting from all of this and why is this being exploded to the degree that it is in mainstream media and in society we've never seen something like this before and that's just a big red flag to me and an invitation to really just develop curiosity to look into it further so i actually had a discussion with one of my friends a couple days ago and he was like did people forget about h1n1 that was a virus as well uh it seems to be at the same degree of no one wants it, you know, vaccines coming out. Um, so with COVID now, it has been blown out of proportion, as you said. But my main thing of why it's been blown like this is because of the media and because of social media. So what are your thoughts on that? So yes, I definitely think it has been blown out of proportion. And like I said from the beginning, we're only seeing one side of the story. And a lot of that story is really overemphasized in order to instigate fear. Or maybe the the intent, you could argue that the intent wasn't to create fear, but that's exactly what it's done. It has created a society that is now living in fear and making all of their decisions based on fear. Um, And so when you say that your friend also raised the point that um, asking whether or not people forgot about H1N1 and other viruses that we've seen So one of the things that really bothers me is that the media continues to call coronavirus novel. And novel means new. Coronaviruses are not new. SARS is a coronavirus. So we have seen coronaviruses in society before. So to say that this is a novel virus and we have no idea what it's going to do and it's going to be so severe and just all of these statements that they're making it's really misleading um and again we've seen coronaviruses before we've studied coronaviruses before so it is a false statement to say that we don't know anything about them and to use fear-mongering in that sense to compel people to make decisions regarding vaccination, regarding lockdowns, regarding all the things that are happening in society right now based on statements like that. So that's just one of the many things that bothers me about this. Uh, I completely agree. What are your thoughts on the virus getting compared to the regular cold flu? Because... (laughs) Because... I see that Calgary, like the government of Calgary, posted, I think last week, saying that, oh, we've had no flu, no one has the flu this year. And then you read the comments and it's like, yeah, because people are saying that it's the coronavirus instead of the flu. You know what I mean? So what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so 
to say that the flu has all of a sudden become eradicated and is at zero is laughable. I I actually cannot wrap my mind around the fact that Dina Henshaw actually made that statement publicly. And it's also just like if if anybody listening to this can clarify this for me. So they have said that the flu is gone because we've done such a great job at masking and isolating and washing our hands and sanitizing surfaces that like pat on the back for us we got rid of the flu you guys and barely anybody has been getting flu vaccines because they've all been hiding in their houses but somehow the flu is gone however we did such a bad job at isolating and masking and disinfecting that coronavirus just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse so we should isolate more and mask more and sanitize more because clearly that's been working all along. So (laughs) if anybody out there has some insight on that, I'd appreciate it. I am actually going to quote some numbers here because I did read through some studies. I rewatched some videos and some government statements, and I just kind of wanted to bring this up in relation to this talk comparing COVID to the flu. So I will openly state that coronavirus, COVID-19, it is definitely more severe than the flu. So people who are saying that it is not as severe as the flu or equivalent to the flu, I think that is a bit of an erroneous statement and that is really kind of taking away the validity and the severity of this because it has certainly had an effect especially in certain regions and in certain populations it has absolutely had a more severe effect than the flu so I will put that statement out there and I'm not going to uh, try and debunk that because I do believe that that is true Um, however so Very early on when the pandemic started, there were early claims that the COVID case fatality rate was around 3.4%. And they were releasing statements to silence the people who were comparing it to the flu. And they were saying that the flu fatality rate is less than 1%. However, This statement and these particular numbers, the 3.4% and the 1%, was just more or less an absurd statement and a a really (sighs) poorly projected claim to be making from a scientific perspective because the 3.4% that they were quoting for COVID was a case fatality rate or something that we call a CFR. So a CFR is your number of deaths divided by your number of diagnosed cases. Your IFR, which is the 1% that they were quoting for the flu, is an infection fatality rate, which is your deaths divided by the total number of infected cases. So 
Um, for example, you're and in science, you can't compare CFR and IFR and actually have a valid comparison. CFR reflects those with more serious infections, and it is known in scientific studies to be biased, to be higher than the IFR, and it can also be highly inflated and highly variable based on the credibility of the tests. And so let's come back to the credibility of the test because I also want to speak on the PCR test. Um, but if you take, for example, a disease that kills everybody that exhibits symptoms, but nobody who is asymptomatic but actually infected, you can have a case fatality rate of 100%, which is terrifying. If you have a case fatality rate, if you're saying that anybody who gets this is going to die, that is something that would absolutely scare the living bejesus out of the entire population of the world, rightfully so. However, that same disease can have an, an infection fatality rate of almost zero. And I'll kind of explain how this happens. So um, when you take your, when you're calculating your CFR, again, like I said, that's your number of deaths attributed with the disease divided by the number of diagnosed cases. So for COVID, that's the number of COVID deaths divided by the number of diagnosed cases based on the PCR test. So that's critical to understanding this is that you're dividing by the number of diagnosed cases. Um, whereas your IFR is your actual mortality rate. So it's the number of deaths of the disease divided by the number of people who are actually infected. So when you're looking at the entire population, you can have people who are infected and asymptomatic, which we know has been happening with COVID, there are young people who are asymptomatic, and there are also going to be people who show symptoms who don't necessarily go and get tested. However, they do have COVID. It's just not reflected in the numbers. So your IFR takes into account all of those cases. So it divides the deaths by everybody who was infected. So it's a more accurate representation of the deaths in comparison to everybody who actually came in contact with the virus and was infected with the virus, which is why your CFR can be so highly inflated and can be a misrepresentation. So going back to that statement, when they compared COVID having a 3.4% or death rate, sorry, that was the CFR. They compared that to the flu IFR. So they compared a highly inflated number to an accurate number, which is a huge misrepresentation. Now, if we look at the COVID CFR again, so that 3.4% that they initially stated, that number was divided by the total number of people infected that were diagnosed as being infected. So people who were tested. And those are people who are being tested with a PCR test. And this PCR test has also been shown to be highly inaccurate. In fact, the scientist who developed this PCR test came out with a statement prior to this pandemic that said this should never be used as a diagnostic tool. Ironically, and I'm not going to speak on whether or not this was simply coincidence or there's something more to this, 
But this particular scientist who developed the PCR test just happened to die before this pandemic became a big thing in society. So, anyways, when we go back to the PCR test, they really like to emphasize all of the false positives, but they don't speak on the, or sorry, they, they like to emphasize the false negatives, but they don't speak on the false positives. So they really like to tell you that, oh, well, the PCR test actually isn't accounting for cases that we don't know about. But then they don't give you the other side of the story where they're saying, oh, but it's actually testing people as being positive when they're not actually positive. So that's another confounding variable that contributes to the CFR of COVID, which is the percentage of deaths that is consistently being used in the media to really, again, fear monger society. And that is one of the big issues that I have in the majority of society. If you don't have a scientific background and if you don't take it upon yourself to go and look more deeply into these statements that are being made, which can also be a dangerous thing when you talk about people doing their own research, that can definitely have pros and cons. So I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody, oh, well, you shouldn't believe anything you hear and you should just do all of your own research because anybody who doesn't have any kind of basis in science can really be misled down wrong paths if they try and do that as well. So that's the frustrating part is that you shouldn't have to do that. You should be given both sides of the story. You should be given all of the data and that's just not happening. Damn, that's some good info right there. <laughs> um, that was actually going to be one of my next questions was um, about the asymptomatic people. Um, I had read, I think when like the disease was first coming to light, um, that in between 20 to 40 percent of the people who had COVID were asymptomatic. And to me, it's like, that doesn't even make sense. Imagine all the people who never got tested, but who have COVID and they just don't know. Or maybe you have uh, just a headache or you just have a small cough and you have COVID. So imagine all of the people, example, if there are 10 million people who have COVID and 3 million of those are asymptomatic, imagine all the people that they have transmitted this virus to who just didn't know. And I think I'm one of those people. My family was really sick before COVID came to Canada and uh, I was living with them. So to say that I wasn't exposed to COVID is kind of unlikely for me. So can you maybe talk more about the asymptomatic numbers and... Um, what your thoughts are on potentially there are a lot more people who have had it. Yes, absolutely. So um, I do think that there's a lot of validity to that statement and um, there are absolutely going to be people who just have a cold and or cold symptoms and they don't go get tested. For one, a lot of people especially in the early stages of the pandemic, people were afraid to go to the hospital. So I believe a lot of people may have been infected in the early stages and never went to get testing. And so again, those numbers 
will contribute to the number of total people infected, but they're not being considered when the death percentages are being calculated, right? And I mean, rightfully so, how can we ever know that somebody had it if they weren't tested and proven to be infected? So it's there's no like blame or shame on anybody there for not including those people because we quite literally couldn't. It's just something that you need to take into consideration. Um, however, in the early stages of COVID, and again, it was at least projected to be very unknown as to the effects of it and whether or not any of the higher-ups really truly knew more about it than we did. Again, I can't speak to that. I don't know if there's any truth in that. More so speculation that that could be a possibility, but a lot of the statements that were made about asymptomatic people being drivers of the infection were then retracted later, saying that, if you're asymptomatic, then no, you're not really spreading and transmitting the infection. So again, arguably, was that used as a source of fear and as an incentive for people to isolate and mask and everything? Who knows? Because again, that was so early that we didn't really know what was happening with it. But as it stands right now, asymptomatic people were not large contributors to the death rates and to the spread of the disease as far as the research and the studies that I have read and the information that I have come across that is newer based on what we now know asymptomatic people are not drivers of the current COVID mortality rates very strange very strange If you're looking for affordable yet comfortable clothing, check out Neon Apparel. They are a clothing brand based in Calgary that ships worldwide. So if you want to shop their collection, check out their website or their Instagram at neon.ca. So maybe let's jump into the vaccines now. Are you going to get it? <laughs> well, if anybody interested, she's like, I want to know. has followed me for any length of time on social media, you should know that the answer to that is no. Uh, I do work for the hospital, and as of right now, it is not quote unquote required. However, I will speak to the fact that it is definitely a source of a lot of pressure. And it is something that I hear all day, every day. And something that really, it just doesn't sit right with me as well is that up until now, your medical history and your medical choices were private information. But now it is just a commonality to walk around asking people, have you gotten your vaccine? Do you have your vaccine? Are you getting your vaccine? When's your vaccine appointment? And that's just all day, every day at work. And to me, especially when this vaccine is so new, so under-researched, it was pushed to the nth degree. We know very little about it. And it's just a big red flag to me for there to be so much pressure for everybody to be getting this when there really 
from the numbers, there should not be this kind of incentive for the entire population. Like we are talking 7.8 billion people who are being told that they need to get this vaccination. And yeah, it's just, I, I've talked to so many people now who have said, I don't want to get the vaccine. I don't know enough about it. And however, I feel pressured to get it because I fear for my job. I fear for the health of people around me, which is really sad too because another thing that they have released openly in statements from the WHO, from CDC, is that they have been honest and kudos to them for this, but they have said we do not know if a vaccinated individual can or will spread the infection. And this is an mRNA vaccination, which is new. And when I say new, I don't mean that this is the quote-unquote first ever mRNA vaccine ever studied. However, all former mRNA vaccines that are currently in trial or have ever been in trial have never passed animal and or human studies and we're talking vaccines that have been in research in the lab for upwards of 10 plus years they have never made it into the human population past trials because there have been problems so when we're comparing a vaccine to those that have been researched for two, three, four, five, ten plus years and have not been approved, it really just sets off another red flag for me that this is something that we should be weighing the risks and the benefits for. And another thing with the mRNA vaccines is that unlike vaccines that we get through childhood and um, some of the travel vaccines and the vaccines that we're used to that have been around for years and years and years, those kind of vaccines often use what we call an attenuated virus. So they actually use a heat-killed form of the virus that they are injecting to create an immune response in your body to. So what that does is that your body recognizes the particles on that dead virus and it basically formulates an immune response so that you now form antibodies so that your body can now protect you against that virus. But this is an mRNA vaccine. So we're talking changes in genes here. So the mRNA vaccine what it does is instead of injecting part of the virus or a killed form of the virus itself, it stimulates your body's own cells to produce the spike protein that is similar or the same in structure as that of the coronavirus in your own body's cells so that then your body is basically forming an immune response to its own cells that are now producing that spike protein. So it is essentially an autoimmune reaction, which, 
when it comes to mRNA vaccines, and one of the things that is still really up in the air about the risks and what the effects are in humans is that it can cause something called a cytokine storm in your body, which is basically your body undergoes a hyperimmune response, which can then cause all sorts of health implications, which I won't get into because we could probably sit here and talk for hours on it. And again, it's very, a lot of the effects are very unknown. So I myself and even some of the most well-researched and literate scientists in the world that have been studying this for years, they still don't know all of the effects of this. So it's just... There are so many alarm bells going off in my body and my mind and just so many things with this that are so many areas of unknown. And yet again, the average person that you talk to has no idea of any of this. And I don't think any of these should be used to fearmonger people either. It shouldn't be stated in the sense that oh well you have no idea what the vaccine is going to do so you absolutely shouldn't get it no it's an invitation for curiosity it's an invitation to ask questions it's an invitation for you to recognize that you have sovereignty over the decisions that you are making for your own body and your own health and there are so many forums and everything. I just read through one of the vaccine forums the other day where somebody made a comment that they had an anaphylactic reaction to the Pfizer vaccination, but they were still touting the fact that they were so proud that they got the vaccination because they were protecting everybody in society. And to me, that is terrifying. You had an anaphylactic reaction. And in the FDA documents that Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, you can read through all of the vaccine documentation, which again, most people won't do because they're like 30 to 50 page documents, but they're easily accessible. And I've read through them, or at least I've read through most of them. Uh, One of the statements, especially, so Pfizer for sure, I'm not actually 100% positive about Moderna and AstraZeneca. I would have to go back and read them again, but Pfizer for sure has a statement in the risk section that says, If you have ever had an anaphylactic reaction to food or drugs, you should not take this vaccination. So I obviously can't speak for that individual. I don't know if they were given that information and chose to take the vaccination anyways, or if they were simply unaware. But if they were unaware, that's terrifying. So with your opinion on the vaccine, if one day your work would tell you, it's a requirement. If not, well, <laughs> peace out. Are you peacing out? Are you quitting your job? Oh, okay, well, this is, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess this is going to be out there anyways. Um, I have known for quite some time that healthcare was part of my path and part of my purpose, but it's a stepping stone in my journey. Um, I quit my job at the clinic for various reasons, but one of them being the fact that it was, or at least felt at the time from my personal experience, very financially driven, very focused on 
how many people you can see in a day, how many people you can get through the door. It was not focused on patient care. And so many aspects of our current healthcare system are focused on treating symptoms and not actually looking into the underlying causes. And over the course of the past two to three years, I have felt more and more of a draw pulling me out of this industry. And something that definitely scares me is that yeah, maybe maybe AHS and maybe the hospital will implement vaccination as being something that is required and that, I mean, right now, I think that would be a huge legal issue for them to actually um, threaten taking away your job. However, I have sat with this for quite some time and although it would not be ideal for it to happen right now, it would honestly just kind of be the boot in the butt that I need to take the step into the unknown and discover what that next stepping stone in my path is. And I I truly, I am grateful for my job. I love the people that I work with. Since I have transitioned to the hospital, I've seen a whole different side of healthcare that is very much so more patient-oriented. It has been very humbling. I have learned and grown in so many ways, but I know to the depths of my soul that this is not my forever. And whether or not I pursue something else in quote-unquote health care that is more of a holistic type of health care, I know that I still want to help people discover whole body wellness, but I think that's more so from a purpose-driven perspective, from a holistic healing perspective, from a somatic experiencing perspective and just really doing more of that inner work and the self-work and um, I also really feel that some aspect of traveling and adventuring is some component of that. What that means for me right now again I don't know but currently as it stands with the many unknowns of this vaccination and how I feel about my future in healthcare. No, I will not be getting the vaccination, and I am going to make a prediction that within the next three years, I will no longer be a part of the industry that I am currently in. Hey, man, good for you for sticking to your guts. Um, I guess this is just a genuine question that I want to ask you. Um, are you scared of what people are thinking right now on your opinion? Because I feel like a lot of people have this opinion and they get bombarded with um, okay, well, you don't care about society, you don't care about yourself, you don't care about people at risk, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I guess my question is, are you scared of what people are thinking right now and what people uh, might think of you based on your opinion? 
Uh, I think it would be a pretty bold statement for me to sit here and say that I don't care what people think. I think a lot of times we really like to say that and we really like to get out of that mentality of really just being centered around what other people's opinions and perspectives of us are and I've certainly come a long way in that area but there is absolutely a part of me that gets anxious about how people will receive what I say and I try and say everything with an open heart and an open mind and something that I have said several times lately is that I am wholeheartedly willing to be wrong but I'm not willing to be silent. I would rather have my opinions, my statements, and the research and the studies that I bring to light proven to be wrong, but at least have people aware of them and given the opportunity to look at both sides than to live in a society that is based on fear having only been given one side of an argument. And... Yes, I've already lost friends over this. Yes, I have been shamed. Yes, I have been ridiculed. Yes, I have received some pretty disheartening messages. But I know deep down who I am as a person, and I know that I care deeply about the health and the well-being of other people, and especially those that I love. And I really just want to see a change in our world collectively in the way people take in information in the way people converse with each other like we're in this together and yet we are now living in a society where people are pointing fingers shaming blaming guilting calling people a danger to society, telling people they don't care about one another, and making just completely erroneous and truly hurtful claims and statements based on fear. And I don't, this is not to say that people who have made those statements are bad people by any means, because it is, I feel in the majority of people when they lash out at others, it is because they are also hurting. It is because they are afraid. It is because there is so much unknown right now that they are trying to do what's best and what's best for them is what they believe is best based on the information that they have been provided with, which as a whole right now, I feel is very limited. And so I just feel that there really need to be a lot more open conversations where people are able to bring forth both sides of the argument and have a respectful adult conversation without there being use of demeaning language and terms and labels like conspiracy theorist and tinfoil hatter and whatever else you want to call people I just think that just because you take it upon yourself to ask questions and be curious does not mean that you should 
be told that you care any less or that you are any less important to society or yeah I I just feel like there are so many things that I could bring forth right now but I'm gonna get emotional if I bring forth a lot of the statements that have been made I just feel like there needs to be a lot more compassion and a lot more space given for people to have these conversations so I also thank you for allowing me to be here today to have this conversation with you and for holding this on your platform and getting this out there to people that there's more than one side of this story. Oh, I want to cry with you. <laughs> I feel like you're completely right. If only there would be more compassion, but I feel like there's always going to be those haters. It kind of reminds me a bit of um, like in the States, the, the Democrats and the Republicans. I feel like it's always going to be a war against an- another. If you're a Republican, you're always going to be known as a racist, a sexist, Trump supporter, you know, and the Democrats are like, no, you can't be like that. We can't be friends be- based on your opinion, based on your political views. And this kind of like reminds me a little bit of that, of like, there's no middle ground. There's either you believe in it or you don't. Either you believe in the vaccine or you don't. So, Yeah. Jose Dabwa is a graphic designer and small YouTuber. If you're looking to get creative services done or just want to support her work, check out her website, heyjose.com, or her Instagram at heyjose. So another question, um, probably one of my last questions, is going to be asking about your thoughts on the lockdowns because Ontario is uh, my home. I'm going to be moving back next week and the government just put on a lockdown stay-at-home order they just closed the borders to manitoba and quebec and ford put up an order allowing police to stop you if you are going out of your house if it is not for essential uh, essential purposes so if you're going to the grocery store it's fine if you're going to the hospital pharmacy it's fine But if they catch you leaving your house and you're with someone else, if you're going to someone else's house, whatever the reason may be, the cops are allowed to stop you and fine you $850. My hometown just stopped people coming in from Brantford, I think is the name. Um, Five people coming into Timmins and there was a D.A.R.E. program type thing. So it wasn't a illegal stop per se, but um, the cops questioned everyone in the vehicle. They were all coming from a different town into my town and they were all fined $850 each. And uh, there's a lot of opinions on that. There's a lot of um, talks about how that's illegal, how they can just go to court, say, okay, I'm allowed leaving my house. I'm allowed doing this and that the fines are completely um, put aside. They don't have to pay it anymore. So what are your thoughts on the lockdown, especially in regards to um, people's well-being and mental health issues that are arising with COVID? So even pre-pandemic, lockdowns in the face of former viruses and situations that have been similar in nature have actually been 
discouraged. And there is an abundance of data that shows that lockdowns are more harmful than they are good. There are meta-analyses done and literature reviews done that review so much of this and more and more now, especially that we are now on our third lockdown, at least here in Canada. I'm not sure what is happening in other areas. I know of several regions that are not in lockdown and several regions that are in more severe lockdowns than we are and Ontario is definitely a little bit of a terrifying situation um however so it really intrigues me that nobody talks about Sweden so Sweden hasn't locked down from day one and from the very beginning in the early stages when they refused their lockdown, they were blasted on media saying Sweden is basically committing murder. This is going to be a massacre. The deaths are going to be insurmountable. Sweden had a normal year of deaths. Their average their death rate was in line with their average death rate consistently over the past decade. But that's not talked about. They were blasted when they initially refused and shamed and ridiculed, but now that they've actually been successful and they're going about their everyday life, nobody hears a peep about them. There are also states in the U.S. that have completely abolished their masking laws and their lockdown regulations, and they've actually seen a decrease in numbers. But again, we don't hear about those places. We hear about the places where the cases are increasing. Even in that light, there are certainly regions where the cases are increasing. However, death rates are not following. So yes, there are more people who are testing positive. And again, who knows if those are true positives or false positives based on this highly unreliable PCR tests that we are using, but it's great to say that cases are increasing. However, if somebody has a runny nose and tests positive for COVID and all of those kinds of cases are increasing, what significance is that if the hospitalization rates and the death rates are not following suit? So basically, that statistic could essentially just be saying there are more people who are getting cold-like symptoms, but those are not having any more detrimental effects. And again, places like Texas who have removed their masking laws, who are not in lockdown, they are seeing a decrease in cases, while areas that are locking down are not seeing significant fluctuations in hospitalizations and deaths in the sense that they are intending lockdowns to affect them, which is obviously a decrease, (laughs) hopefully, is what they're aiming for there, which is not happening. However, what are we seeing? We're seeing an increase in suicide. We're seeing an increase in kids calling help, or the hotline, the kids' help phone. We're seeing an increase in mental disorders in anxiety in depression in eating disorders 
we are seeing an increase in overdose of drugs. We're seeing an increase of hospitalization due to alcoholism. We are seeing so many detrimental effects to society. And I can only imagine children and anybody who is part of an unhealthy household environment where there is abuse, where there is drug and alcohol use, who have had places like the school and gyms, which are now closed, and a lot of facilities that they have had as a refuge, basically. Even churches in the area are are closed and not allowed to operate. And all of these ways that people have been able to use as outlets and as places of solace have been taken away from them, and they are now being forced to stay in unhealthy environments or be in complete isolation, whether that is solely based on their own fears or that's based on the restrictions in their region and the fact that they live alone, people thrive off of human connection. There are even studies that show that human connection, human touch, being a part of a healthy social environment, having a higher number of interactions with friends and family increases your immune system function. It, it has a significant effect on your mental health. And overall, it improves your mental and physical well-being. So why are we taking that away from people when we are seeing that lockdowns are not having a positive benefit on hospitalization and death rates. Those two just don't go hand in hand. And along those lines as well, while we're decreasing people's mental health and taking away social connection, which is then having a huge detriment not only on mental health, but physical health as well, since day one, have we ever heard the media talk about how we can be positively influencing our health from other means such as vitamin D, vitamin C, antioxidants, focusing on a healthy diet, getting exercise, and arguably even when the gyms are closed, you can still be getting exercise and vitamin D by being outside. But, and again, this is not something new in society. This isn't just in relation to coronavirus. This is just a flaw in our system as a whole. This is how healthcare thrives. They treat symptoms with pharmaceuticals and they don't put any emphasis on all of the natural and affordable ways that we can be improving and protecting our health. And that is one of the biggest reasons why I feel so drawn to something other than what I am currently doing is because I don't hear about that at my job. I don't hear about that on mainstream media. There are certainly a heck of a lot more people speaking about this now and trying to implement these changes in our world. But I think and I hope, I truly hope that this pandemic will yield a society that is starting to recognize that 
health care should not be based around big pharma. It should not be based around having to have a near catastrophe in society to wake us up to the fact that things like human connection and exercise and diet are so critical to our health. So one thing I understand about the lockdowns is um, the fact about the like ventilators and ICU and how it's overcrowded. There's too many people that are sick. And I understand that in a way. But one thing that I think about really often is how much money there is in the world and how many millionaires, billionaires there are. And um, I think this was like three years ago in Italy where there was a church and it like caught fire and it was completely destroyed and all the billionaires chipped in so much money. I think they raised like a hundred million dollars and it just like makes me angry a little bit I guess or maybe like I don't know enough about it or um, maybe they don't tell everyone that um, that we don't see any of those same millionaires, billionaires putting money into our healthcare. Like, if we have such low amount of equipment for ventilators, whatever it may be, like, how come those millionaires, billionaires aren't, like, donating money towards that so that, like, our healthcare system can thrive and we can have so much more equipment to help people? I don't know if that makes sense at all. But um, do you have any thoughts on that? So it's a really good point. And I mean, honestly, I think you could do an entire podcast on this subject, on the allocation of wealth in our society and on the kinds of incentives there are. And I mean, healthcare is, it's, it's an enterprise. It's a, like, it is a business in itself. Like they have to make money too. So there has to be some aspect there that is financially driven. Like, that's just currently, at least, what makes the world go round. And I also just don't think that we can't put the onus on the people in society who are financially thriving to be sacrificing what they have earned in order to make a difference. I mean, obviously that's great when people can make charitable donations and whatnot, but I think what really needs to happen is there just needs to be a shift in focus in general. So an example, like I said before, is focusing on taking an approach to health that is more driven by just incentivizing people to promote their own health and wellness before they are faced with something that they are having to seek medical care for. So prioritizing and educating people on the importance of diet and supplementation and vitamins and minerals and exercise and everything that you can do to improve your immune system instead of getting sick and seeking care and then having to treat yourself. We should be focusing on prevention, not on treatment. And another big thing in relation to the pandemic that has been silenced again is the use of hydroxychloroquine, 
which is something that Trump made statements about and was completely bashed for. And I mean, you could definitely say that the man could have probably articulated himself a little bit better. (laughs) But there are now numerous doctors, probably a lot more than I am even aware of. I'm only speaking from the ones that I have read about and seen their statements made and seen the research that they've done and seen the numbers that they have presented where they are using either hydroxychloroquinone on its own or a combination of HCQ with vitamin D with um, and forcing their patients to get exercise to take Uh, adequate amounts of vitamin C as well and just like really focused on diet and everything. Uh, One of the doctors, and I'm sorry, but I can't remember the particular doctor's name, but uh, this doctor and the protocol that he gave his patients was estimated to cost $50 a month, I believe, for this treatment that involved hydroxychloroquinone, which he was having an incredible success rate with in treating COVID and yet again we don't hear that side of the story and that just begs the question which is more of a a conclusive statement in my opinion rather than just a speculation but In my personal opinion, the reason that we don't hear about things like this is because they're so cost-beneficial to the patient and to society. They're cheap. They're cheap and effective. And who does that not benefit? That does not benefit the healthcare industry. That does not benefit big pharma. That does not benefit the Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and all the vaccine companies that all want the 7.8 billion people on the earth to think that they need to get this vaccination to protect themselves when really they could just be improving their diet and getting daily exercise and taking a very small variety of very powerful supplements and vitamins for a fraction of the cost and preventing and curing COVID and many other viruses and illnesses that we see every day in society. But that doesn't benefit the big guys. That was a really good point, Sarah. <laughs> I honestly really love your opinion. And it's it feels nice to talk to someone without having like the like a fight or like a screaming match about this because so many people are doing that nowadays and it's just like I said earlier you're either on one side or the other but I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on my podcast and speaking your mind and informing everyone about the other side um I am probably going to be getting the vaccine just because I feel like it comes with a lot of freedom and I just want to travel. I want to see people again. And I know that's not a really good reason for getting the vaccine. But I'm just so tired of this. And I'm just going to do whatever it takes, I guess, to be able to see people again, to be able to leave my country. So if you have any final thoughts, I would love to hear them. 
But again, thank you so much for being a part of this with me. Um, I really love your opinion. I love the way you speak. And I'm really excited to hear your podcast when it comes out. Thank you, Erin. And again, I mean, there is no shame. There is no judgment here. I believe that you have the right to make whatever decision you truly feel in your heart, in your soul, in your gut is right for you. However, the reason why I share what I do, the reason why I am using my voice is because I would only hope that people like you and everybody who is considering either getting or not getting the vaccine, that they have a plethora of information to make an informed decision. And the statement that you just made is exemplary of how I feel the majority of society is, is that they're saying yes, not because they're informed. They're saying yes because they're tired. Mm -hmm. They're saying yes because they're afraid. They're saying yes because they want things to go back to normal. And yet, how many people have now gotten the vaccine and we haven't seen any changes. In fact, restrictions are getting more severe. Mm -hmm. So then that begs the question as to what is the vaccine actually giving us in terms of freedom? And I won't dive too far into this because I know that we're wrapping up, but one of the things that they, and when I say they, I mean mainstream media, have been really pushing lately is that we are now seeing new variants and these new variants are what we need to be scared of but the vaccine has not been developed for new variants the vaccine was developed for the virus that they originally identified and studied so then that begs the question what does that mean so does that now mean they've already talked about the fact that this vaccine, whether it's Moderna, AstraZeneca, or Pfizer, requires boosters. So you're now having to get a booster every couple of months, maybe two shots a year, whatever, for that first variant. But now how many variants are coming out? Are those real? Are those projected? Who knows? How many vaccinations are you going to get every year now in order for you to have quote-unquote freedom mm -hmm. one two three four ten twenty thirty in my speculation i see this becoming okay great you've got your shot we're still in lockdown we're still in restrictions guess what there's a new variant now you got to wait for this vaccination to come out so we're going to keep you in lockdown Okay, now go get this new vaccination. Great. Now we've vaccinated however hundreds of thousands of people for this new variant. Okay, great. Oh, crap, guys. There's another new variant. We can't lift restrictions yet. You're going to have to get this new vaccine for this new variant. Again, speculation, opinion. But that statement that... I'm tired and I want my freedom back, so I'm going to get this vaccine is a scary statement to me. As a healthcare professional and as somebody who deeply cares about the health and well-being of society and our human rights and freedoms, that statement terrifies me because what 
is next after that? What will you say yes to next to quote unquote have life go back to normal? Define normal now. What is normal? There is, there's no going back to normal. We, we need to create a new normal and that starts with us. That starts with us standing up for our rights and freedoms. It starts with us taking it upon ourselves to have the conversations, to become educated, to look at both sides of the story. And so that's why I'm here having these conversations and using my voice. And I hope that everybody listening to this will at least use this as an incentive to start asking more questions and take sovereignty for the decisions that you are making for your health, for your life, for your body, and not just follow the crowd. Thank you, Erin, for having me. And I'm just going to remind everybody that over a year ago, we were told that it was two weeks to flatten the curve. So just let that sit with you. Let this conversation resonate with you. Do what you feel is right for you and focus on your mental and physical well-being. And I am sending you all love and hoping for a much better new normal in the near future. I just want to thank Sarah again for coming on this podcast with me. Um, It takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of guts to um, speak her mind like this and to say her truth even though maybe some of you guys don't agree with it or maybe she gets a lot of hate for it. So thank you so much Sarah for being honest and for sharing your opinion. Um, I really appreciate it and I'm sure all my listeners appreciate it as well. So if you guys like this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and I hope you guys have a good day. Bye!